Good evening, everyone. This is Cody Brown from Cody Brown Reflections, and uh, I have a very special and a very important uh, episode and, and stuff that I want to talk about tonight, um, and that is the subject of abortion, and uh, I know that this subject uh, causes a lot of rage and uh among the political world and and things like that um but this is an important topic um and the thing is is that you know not every political situation um aligns with uh biblical concepts so i don't want you to think that i'm all of a sudden turning into a political christian because uh, i'm not um I'm neither Republican nor Democrat. Um I I I don't know what I would post as I would what I would vote as, you know, if I were to vote. Because uh, <laughs> I missed this last election because I wasn't old enough to vote in it yet. So um <laughs> case in point, um I don't know what I would vote as, but um <clears throat> I would vote based on biblical principles. I would I would say that. Uh, which right now is leaning more towards Republican, honestly. But before we get into that, you know, it's like not every Republican is a conservative and not every Democrat is a liberal. That's one thing that we have to understand. Um, there, You know, not every Democrat has just randomly subscribed to the idea of abortion. And uh, that may be hard for some of you to believe, but it is true. Um... And again, not every Republican is pro-life. It works both ways. Um, but the reason that I wanted to do this um, is because it's something important. Um, we need to consider what the Bible says about, you know, murder uh, is what's going on here. We need to think about, you know, this whole concept and how uh, and how God talks about um, you know the well-being of life and things like that and we have biblical concepts in scripture <coughs> to guide our way of thinking on how we as Christians should view this issue and how we should uh, attack this issue I would say and what I want to to do is not to just be, uh, you know, just another advocate for pro-life and just, <clears throat> you know, continue, you know, and start subscribing to the riots and the marches and uh, things like that. I don't think that marching and causing a riot is the way to do this. Um, honestly, I don't. I don't think it it accomplishes anything. Um, and you may think, well, you know, we just got done with uh, Martin Luther King Day on Monday. And it's like, well, you know, he marched to end racism. And that's true, he did. <coughs> but I think uh, that there is a better way to do it. Um, and people always uh, kind of look down at the way that I'm going to suggest uh, 
but I think we just need to, to, you know, to to give God control back in the world, uh, where He uh, has been taken out of it. <clears throat> you know, the whole idea of getting God back in schools, and the thing is, technically, God never left schools. Um, public school systems have to accept any and all viewpoints of religion and what I mean as accepting it they don't have to like believe it but they can't discriminate uh, anybody that believes something that you know that differs from their personal beliefs um, or anything like that and I've had you know teachers tell me that you know in a classroom setting that you know we can't discriminate but we can have uh, you know different views uh, and this is with, you know, like politics, with religion, uh, the two most controversial things that you would uh, address um, as far as trying to be open-ended with your views and trying to be, uh, you know, creating a good learning environment, I guess you could say. <coughs> but I don't want to be the, you know, the guy that you know, starts a movement, um, I want to be the guy that presents truth, and that puts truth, uh, into the lives of the world, that's why I moved to podcasting, that's why I moved to, uh, YouTube, um, you know, I'm, I, I'm committed to putting the truth of God out there for the world to hear it, believe it, and obey it, that's simply what I'm trying to do. Excuse me, and this is a subject that cannot be dealt with lightly when I get to abortion. So, I, my my main point is that I don't want to uh, get all political about it. Uh, and, you know, we are going to be using the Bible in this uh, session, but I don't want to... Uh, you know, to be the guy that's like, you know, telling everybody that they're going to go to hell and all this stuff. I want to be the guy that just gives a presentation of truth. And, you know, for me, I I believe that the Bible is an absolute truth. Uh, John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claims to be an absolute truth, and there's just so much historical and... Uh, biblical evidence that, you know, that there's no contradictions in the Bible and things like that. There's just so much evidence for it. Um, so that's one thing that we can always be certain of, is that the Bible is always true, and it always will be true. So I want to, you know, to go, and I'm openly telling you my presuppositions, uh, I don't want to make this a, a political movement. I don't want to do anything political about it. I just want to look at truth. And with that being said, I turn my attention right now to the church. Um, if the church was as active, if Christians were as active as they are right now about ending abortion as they were before the bill in New York passed, then we might have actually made some headway. We might have actually had a fighting chance. 
Now, with that being said, I still believe that we have a fighting chance. It's a long shot, but I think we still have a fighting chance. <coughs> but again, uh, you know, this is not uh, the time when you would, uh, you know, go into a war and, and break out and, you know, and just, you know, killing the people that are causing the problem. I don't think that protesting and uh, and fighting is the way to do this. I think, uh, you know, remind, remembering our biblical concepts and our biblical life in this is so very important. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, we need to remember the effective nature of prayer. We need to lead by the godly example presented to us in Scripture. Um, you know, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And he talks about how Jesus, who was in heaven, came in the form of man and humbled himself as such becoming the servant, a humble servant. <coughs> and then being a, a humble servant after he was after he was killed and resurrected, he was exalted to the right hand of God. So we need to remember the lifestyle of a humble servant. Um you know, God has control over the government. He knows what's going on. Um you know, there are passages in Romans like that. So we need to obey our government in that, unless it steps on the uh, the principles of God. In that case, we need to look at um, Acts chapter 5, at verse 29, it says, But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. <clears throat> so, we are to obey our government to the extent that they don't step on our uh, religion. So what that means is when, you know, they start saying, well, you know, it's illegal to be a Christian now, you still have to have the courage to be a Christian, even though it's drop-dead illegal. <clears throat> you still have to do that. Um, you know, I think that's a, a principle that we all need to remember. We need to be a Christian, and we need to act about this in a Christian way, um, as opposed to... Uh, you know, going to an extreme. <clears throat> and, you know, when we pick a side, when we say, when we get to that point where it's like, I'm going to pick a side and I'm going to hold to this extreme, uh, there's no room to work there. Um... So I think we need to be open, but I don't think we need to compromise. Uh, you can present truth without compromising it. Uh, you know, you can do things that are Christian in a Christian way um, <clears throat> without compromising it. There is biblical ways to do that. And so, and one more final thing as far as the church is concerned. We need to, you know, to set that godly example, to uh, to be teaching uh, about these issues, and we need to be active in these issues. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we start a whole, like, 
a whole uh, ministry because of it. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that we need to be the example. The church needs to be, you know, the light in the dark situation. Um, And sometimes doing that is just by being and living that Christian an example. And bringing our biblical influence to the table instead of just focusing on the scientific issue. Um, You know, we must bring our biblical influence to the table of any discussion that infringes upon uh, the religious beliefs that we have. We must bring the Bible to the table. Instead of just subscribing to this movement that uses science to prove that, you know, these unborn babies are actually living, breathing human beings. And there's, let me make this clear too, that's, that's a good argument. There's a lot of scientific arguments that are good arguments and that are very valid arguments. However, we have to take it a step further and bring the Bible into it. What does the Bible say, uh, you know, about stuff like this? And so I'm going to use a passage of Scripture that is not commonly used to answer this argument. And to not, you know, that is commonly used to not, uh, you know, discuss this issue. And I'm looking at 1 John chapter 4 uh, at verse 9 is the specific verse that I'm looking at. 1 John chapter 4 at verse 9 where it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Now that we have loved God, not that we have loved God, excuse me, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verses 9 through 11 is what I read. And if we look at verse 8, if anyone who does not love, does not know God, because God is love. Love is not an abstract concept, is not this outside thing that, you know, that God just happens to know about and that God expresses it. It is a core characteristic of God, a personal quality, a personal characteristic of the God that we serve. God is love, not God has love. God is love. His love influences everything. His judgments, His his uh, actions, His justice, His everything. Love is influenced, influences everything that God does, because that is a core characteristic. But notice verse 9. This is the verse that I really want to talk about. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. The judgment for living a life of sin, though we may be biologically alive here in this world, 
we were spiritually dead, spiritually separated. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. We were separated from God because we had a, a giant wall of sin. And God, since love is a basic characteristic of the Christian God and of the God of whom we claim to serve, <clears throat> we have to understand that God has wanted a relationship, has always desired a relationship with His creation. And that in this great desire, even though there was a wall of sin in front of us separating us, God said, I'm going to tear down that wall. I'm going to break the wall at the very foundation. Because Christians, us human beings before Jesus died on that cruel cross, was a life characterized by sin and death. And God attacked it right at the foundation. He conquered sin and death for us. That's what verse 10 says. But that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. The word for propitiation can also be translated as atonement. Uh, so, God has sent His Son to be the atonement for our sins. Because God so loved us. Verse 11. We also ought to love one another. And that that brings the idea of the abortion subject. Because, you see, if God loved us, we should love one another. A person is a person, no matter how small. Dr. Seuss said that. Um, and, you know, that's, that's a quote that's been flowing around uh, amongst this abortion idea. And this pro-life movement. Um, and I think, you know, it's great. Uh, no matter how small, even an unborn child, they have a heart that beats. They breathe the breath of life. They are human beings, biologically speaking. That's the scientific argument behind this. And so, since they are biologically alive, since they are humans by nature, we are told that we must love them. Because of the great expression of love that God has shown us. And I want to focus in on that love. I want to read you another passage about the love of God. Ephesians chapter 3 at verse 19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. The love that surpasses knowledge. That is a characteristic of the love of God. It's something that we can't fully understand. Our human minds cannot fully grasp. Because His love is expressed in Him coming in the form of man. 
and dying for people that did not deserve his blood to be shed. But he did it anyway, and he did it out of love. We're all familiar with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And that is a love that we can't fully grasp, that we can't fully understand. But it's the kind of love that God loved us with. And it's the kind of love that we should love our fellow man with. As 1 John 4.11 says. <clears throat> Remember 1 John 4.11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also, also, ought to love one another. We need to let that amount of love and that amount of sacrifice influence our decisions rather than whatever the world is subscribing to because that love is what makes it possible for us to be in that right relationship with God for us to to tear down that wall of sin and death at its very foundation that is so very important and God died for those unborn children just as much as he died for you and me God died for them too and I, I don't know how this pro-life movement is going to end I don't know if we're going to make any headway but we have to remember, and we cannot lose hope, that God still reigns. God is still above all and over all. Now is the time for the atheist, when the atheist would say, Why does God allow all this pain and suffering? And to that I would say, you know, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I've preached on this passage so many times. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Why does God allow all this pain and suffering? Partly because we choose it. When we chose that life of sin and death, we suffer the consequences. All the dying and all the pain is a result of sin being in this world. But even if we just look at the world around us and the natural suffering, like cancer, people dying every day, uh, people being, uh, um, you know, paralyzed and, and other ailments, it's preparing us and it's showing us that there's something better. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison.
That's why. The suffering should make you depend more on God and not less on God. So even in this great time of suffering, even though the mothers of those children may not feel any shame about it, there will be a day when all of that goes away, regardless of how the pro-life movement ends. But we have to remember, God died for them too. And let that be the message that rings. Let that be what we live for. That God died for them too. Thank you so much and God bless.